The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. testimonies of coming to faith too are not like first time I ever heard it it was like this progress over time the first time this person told me about Jesus I was like you're ridiculous and then whatever the story is and then seven years later I heard it again from the same person or a different person or seven people later or whatever it is and then it made sense right and there's this process and has the church rejected that person during that process or has the church allowed that person to come in wherever they are in their different place of obedience in their lives related to Jesus how will we handle that how will we handle that when somebody comes in with different behaviors or different theological positions than, than we have? Will we be suspicious? Will, we, will it create division and labeling and putting them in a camp and isolating them? Or will it allow us to be patient and, and wrestle and hear and talk and deal with the scriptures together and what Jesus instructs and what it looks like lived out together? That's part of this, this call to proclaim his excellencies is, yes, to be solid on these things, but to be patient and to be hospitable to people. So I'd encourage us as we head into another fiscal year, at least, um, let's think about this. Let's re-up our desire to be welcoming and accessible on Sundays and other times when we're gathered together. Let's make sure that we greet people. Let's make sure that we help people orient to our time and what we're doing here. It's part of why we explain the liturgy as we go through. We don't want people to be lost. We want people to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. So let's re-up our desire to do that. Let's consider other ways, like we did with our life groups this last year, other ways that we can connect people to our lives as a community. Let's, let's throw parties as our life groups and invite our neighbors to come. Uh, let's host lunches and invite people to come to that. Let's, let's do things that, uh, that create other on-ramps or other side doors where people can come into our community rather than I already believe this or I'm coming to public worship. Let's re-up our intention to do that so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. And let's individually open our lives by opening our homes to people. Let's encourage one another. Uh, who are you praying for? Who, who is a friend, a neighbor, a coworker that you're inviting into your life? Prayerfully hoping that the Spirit will give you opportunity to share the gospel with that person. Let's talk about these things. Let's intend more towards this than we have in the past. And if you have experience, passion, ideas about these things, help us. Come forward and say, I've got some ideas. I've done this. I've seen this. Let me help organize some things here. Or if you have conviction uh, and fear but a desire to grow, let's talk about that as well. Let's, let's be honest and let's move forward together as a community in doing this thing that does bless the city. And let's pray that the Lord would add to our number those who are being saved. That's number one. Number two, I phrase this way. How do we bless? We walk in the good works that God prepared in advance for us. Ephesians 2.10, as we heard in our preparation for confession today. Let's walk in good works. Let's live righteous lives. As we talked about last week, so I won't go into this in great detail this week, but this is both a model that people can follow as we live out righteousness. They can see, like, that's good behavior. That's a, that's, that shines. Um, but also, because God's righteous instruction is true to who people are, and true to how the way the world works, when we live righteous lives, it in itself is actually good for the fabric and flourishing of the community, right? Acts 2, 42 through 47, again, as we read, 
I love that God added favor, or added, sorry, added to their, uh, their number, those who were being saved. And I love that they had favor with the people. As they were being the church, as they were doing what they do, selling stuff and, and sharing with those in need and all this kind of stuff, they had favor with the people. It means the people watched and said, this is good. What you're doing is good. And we like that you're here. We like that you're doing what you're doing. Even though we understand it, even though we're not part of it yet, what you're doing is good because it's based on reality. So as we live as the church by God's grace, faithful, righteous lives, it is a blessing. Being disciples here is good for those around us. So bless the cities by bringing your faithfulness to Jesus, your biblical worldview, to everything that you do. So, so students, those of you who are in school, whether it's grad school down to preschool, uh, live this out. Be a blessing by respecting your teachers and your leaders, by doing your own work and not cheating, uh, by helping others uh, who need help, by not having it be competitive for the grades or whatever. Oh, you're struggling. Let me, let me help you. But, but I might bust the curve. That's okay. It's not about that. Um, be collaborative uh, rather than competitive in work. Uh, those who have jobs, be good workers. Be hardworking. Don't cheat breaks. Don't cheat the time clock. Don't engage in workplace gossip. Don't disrespect the boss to his face or behind his or her back. As a boss, don't disrespect employees. Celebrate the successes of others. Share credit with the team rather than taking it all for yourself. Right? These are the kinds of behaviors that are Christian behaviors that are about love for neighbor, not pride and self-serving all the time that are a blessing, that are good for the communities in which we're a part. In your relationships, apologize and ask for forgiveness when you wrong someone. A real apology, not the, I'm sorry if you were offended kind of apology that is in public all the time, but a real apology, I did wrong and I hurt you and I'm sorry. Like, when you, when you actually do that in relationships, it, it startles people. It makes a difference because it's not the way that the world tends to work. So ask for forgiveness and grant real forgiveness when someone wrongs you and apologizes to you and then be willing to stay in the relationship because that's what forgiveness is sometimes we forgive and then we're like yeah but i'm not gonna ever and there's you know there's the wisdom of like you don't have to continue to be hurt again but there's also real forgiveness says i forgive you and so i'm not gonna let it affect us going forward that's different than what the world sees and we can model that and we can do that be generous with your time and your resources rather than participate in the consumer culture and the idolatry that my life is my own. It's all about me and people can fit on the margins if it's convenient. No, make time for people. Make space in your budget to be generous. Ask the question, what would Jesus have me do? Not what did Jesus do we, or what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? He, he blessed me, so what would he have me do? How would he have me live to be a blessing to others? Um, live in such a way that people are prompted to say, why would you do that? That's not, that's not most beneficial for you. Why would you do that? Why would you forgive? Why would you share credit? Why, why would you not cheat when the teacher's letting us cheat? And the answer is because there's someone I trust more than myself, and his name is Jesus, and he's great, and I'd love to tell you about him. So that's walking the, the ways that God is preparing in advance for us to walk in them. Third thing from Micah 6, 8, do justice and love what I've phrased here, grace. It's the word chesed. In the Hebrew, that word often translated steadfast love carries over into the New Testament often as grace. So he's saying do justice and love grace. Um, right wrongs push against the effects of the fall where we see them. 
for both individuals and institutions. Do justice and love grace. This is how we bless the Twin Cities. What does it mean to love grace? I think what, what the prophet is getting at, what Micah is getting at, what the scriptures call us to is, again, this idea because of God's hesed, his grace towards us, we love to extend grace towards others. We can be quick and we can delight to extend grace to others. We've been treated better than we deserve. And so we should love to treat others better than they, they deserve. So often when somebody's needy, they, they're in a place of needing relief, and we think, well, do they deserve this? What are they going to do if I help them? But that's, that's not grace. That's, that's worse. That's not how we've been treated. We should delight to extend grace, ex- delight to show mercy to others. And I think do justice and love grace paired together challenges us that we should be more concerned about justice from ourselves and more concerned about grace extended to others. Too often we flip it. We're more concerned about justice extended to us, or grace extended to us, wait, yeah, grace extended to us and justice to others, right? And I think he's saying, no, do just, what you should do is justly, and what you should extend to others very quickly is grace when they are unjust to you or when they're in a place of need. So we love grace and do justice to seek the shalom of the place where we are. We help those who are hurting and struggling and vulnerable and poor. And we do justice in that we are just in our dealings. We don't abuse power. We don't take advantage of others. And we counter those individuals and institutions that do perpetuate injustice, that do use power wrong, that do exploit other people. This is a huge topic. Obviously, I'm not going to cover this in this sermon. But one, one paradigm for thinking about this has been really helpful for me is Tim Keller's explanation of three types of help in his book, Ministries of Mercy. I think they're really helpful for us to think about how to bless and seek the welfare of the Twin Cities in this area of do justice and love grace. So I want to illustrate these three types of help by using one of my favorite stories, the, the story of Les Mis and the redemption of Jean Valjean in this story. So if you think about the scene, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, I'll try to set this scene quickly. There's a scene early on where Jean Valjean comes into town and he's, he um, is recently released from prison. Uh, He doesn't have anything except his yellow ticket of parole, which basically means that he's a danger to society and nobody will hire him or house him. And so he's asleep on a bench, depending on the version that you've seen. I'm thinking right now of the the old Liam Neeson movie version. But he's asleep on a bench, and this old woman hits the bench to wake him up and says, you should go see the bishop. So anyway, he goes to the bishop, and the bishop receives him into his house, feeds him, and gives him a place to sleep for the night. In the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, in his panic, in his stuckness in his life, gets up and he he steals all the the silver from the bishop's house and he flees but he is caught uh by the gendarmes i don't know how to pronounce that but you know the police the french police and he is brought back and uh presented to the bishop and what the bishop does is uh he he validates valjean's story that the bishop gave him this silver and he says that's right i gave him the silver but my my friend i gave you the candlesticks too why did you not take uh these as well why would you leave the best behind and so he he gets him off of his guilt, and he gives him means to start a new life. Okay, so that's, that's the story, and then from then on, Valjean tries to live that out and become a changed man. Now, here are, here are Keller's categories to help us understand. He says, types of help that we give are relief, transformation, and reform. Okay, relief, transformation, and reform. I'll try to show how these tie to love grace and do justice. So relief is simply the, the grace of meeting people in their place of need. You have a need 
uh, an urgent, imminent need, you're lacking something, you're in some sort of trouble, and I will help you meet that need and show relief. And it's not because you deserve it. Uh, it's not because we have this relationship. Or it's because you need it. And I will show grace to you by meeting your relief. And so the meal and the bed for the night is relief by the bishop, right? You don't have to sleep on the bench. You're hungry. Come in. I will feed you, and I will give you a place to rest. The second one is transformation. This idea of not just meeting you in your place of need and giving you relief, but also thinking about you as a person and why you're in this place. What is it that has you in this place of need? Is it a one-time thing? Great. Is it an ongoing thing? Is it a battle? Is it a struggle? Is it something that we can address to transform you so that you don't continue to be in this place of need? And so in the situation with Jean, Val Jean Valjean, um, he was guilty. He was guilty because he had stolen again. And he was in trouble because of that. And he also had no means to start a new life. And so what the, what the priest did is he absolved the guilt for him. He said, yeah, he, he, I, I'm not going to press this against him. I'm not going to get him back in jail. I'm going to give him the silver, and I'm going to add to it. So he's forgiven, and he now has means to start a new life. That's transformation, right? You're not going to be sleeping on the bench, needing a place to sleep or food to eat anymore, because now I have changed your situation. I've transformed you. The second thing. And then the third thing is the, the idea of reform, where we're going bigger yet, and we're looking at are there larger societal systemic problems that are causing this person to need this relief or this person to be in this situation? And are we willing and able to address those things? So now we don't see that with the bishop, but what that would mean is that after Jean Valjean leaves, the bishop thinks about it and he says, what is the deal with these yellow tickets of parole? This guy was arrested for stealing a loaf of bread. He served 19 years in our prison, hard labor. He served his time. He is not a criminal. He is free, and he should be able to go free and not have to carry this yellow ticket and not be hired anymore, right? So he begins, if he began to think about changing the judicial system in France about these yellow tickets, that would be the level of reform. He would be addressing a systemic evil, a systemic injustice that perpetuates this place of need, this place of mercy for people. And those are the kinds of ways that we get to think. We get to think about being a blessing in these cities by looking for areas where we can provide relief for people, people that you live around, people that you know. Um, and this can be child care. This can be financial need. This can be loneliness need. Whatever it is, what's the need? How can we bring relief to you? Uh, how can we love to show you grace and mercy in your place of need? And then transformation. Are there ways that we can help you, we can help one another to be changed? You're stuck in a, sad, a pattern of addiction. Let's help you out of that. You are, you are continuing in this pattern of sin. Let's talk about that. Let's bring confession and accountability into your life because of that. Like how can we help to transform you and your situation and then reform? What are the systemic problems that we can address? I think Together for Good, with whom we work and a number of you are working, I think that's what they are doing. Right? They're providing relief for people in places where there's an emergency. I need childcare. I need food. I need clothing. And they're providing space for transformation to happen. We'll take care of your kids so that you can work on this issue that you have. So you can go to court. So you can go to that job training. So you can pursue your education. Whatever it is, right, we're helping you to be in a transformed place. And the whole idea came from looking at the reality of our foster care system that things have to get so bad before the government foster care system will intervene. That's a problem. That's a systemic problem. And so if we can provide intervention before it gets to that point, there are all sorts of problems of kids being separated from their families that we can alleviate, right? And so it, it tried to address an idea of reform. I think it's great 
that we are partnering with them because I think it's a place that is trying to bless the cities where it is by hitting these areas of mercy. This is where your eyes and your ears and your hearts and your creativity come into play. If we are going to bless these cities, you have to look around and you have to listen and you have to see and you have to care and you have to think, what can we do? What can we do? I see this. I'm here to bless. What can we do? What can I do? How can I get my life group to help me, my friends to help me, our church family? And these things can be uh, tiny things or they can be big things. There may be one-off things that we're doing. We may need to start a program as a, as a church. But this is where you come in. What do you see? What's out there? We are here. How do we bless here? Where is shalom thwarted? And what possibly can be done to address it? There may be big things. There are always small things. And our neighbors, our very real neighbors, should know that we see, that we hear, and that we care. We're here to bless by loving grace and doing justice. And the last thing that these passages talk about is back to Jeremiah 29, and where he says, uh, Seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. That's number four. Pray to the Lord on the Twin Cities' behalf. We need to be people who intercede, who pray for the Lord to work, who pray for our eyes to be open, who pray for those who have needs to have those needs met, who pray for people to lead well, right, who pray for these cities to be moved towards flourishing uh, by the leaders and by the churches working in the midst of them. Prayer matters for lots of reasons. God commands it. He's made it so that it matters in the world. It shakes us out of our ruts and self-dependence and our view of things, reminding us who is at work in us and in the world what his intentions are towards flourishing. It gives us courage to dream of things beyond what we can do in our own power because it connects us to the power of the Holy Spirit and the resources of the kingdom. Through it, we have delight again in the God we know and the good news that we have to share. Right? It reinforces what we talked about at the beginning, that we have something to offer because we know this great God. And so we're called to pray. What should we pray and ask God for? For him to add to our number those who are being saved, for the lost to be found. For him to sanctify us and make our lives shine in a way that is attractive uh, so that we can walk in those good works in a way that draws people. So he can, that we pray for eyes to see and courage to push against the effects of the fall all around us. It's part of our priestly service to our neighbors that we would bless them by praying for them. They don't even have to know that we're praying for them. But we should be people of prayer for these twin cities. I think I've used this illustration Many times, it seems to always come to my mind when I'm thinking about being a blessing or thinking about mercy ministry or these kind of things. Um, but I'm, I'm going to use it again. Some of you haven't heard it, so, you know, for your sakes, it's important that you would hear this illustration from me. But when I was uh, um, a sixth grader, I decided that uh, I should be the student council president at Bel Air Elementary School. And so I, uh, I campaigned to be um, the president of the student council. Um, you can imagine what my campaign slogan was. Think about it. Be smart, vote for Bart, right? That's what it would be. It's rhymy. It's catchy. Um, I can't remember. I had to give a speech, and I can't remember if it was um, if it was when I ran for vice president or president that I used a ventriloquist dummy, and I actually had him up on my speech, and I said, I may be a dummy, but I'm smart enough to vote for Bart. I did that in front of my whole elementary school. <laughs> Just so you know, a little insight into me. Um, and so anyway, I campaigned and I won. And I was elected the student council president at Bel Air Elementary School when I was a sixth grader. And then I tell you with shame, I did nothing. I didn't do anything as the president. 
I, I one time scheduled a meeting for the student council and I forgot to go to the meeting. <laughs> that is how bad of a president I was for Bel Air Elementary School. They, they probably have like omitted my reign from the list of presidents at Bel Air Elementary School. I was a terrible president because all I wanted was to win the election. I didn't really want to serve the school. I didn't really have any good ideas about what would help. I just wanted a status and that was it. And I didn't do anything good. And I think sometimes that's what we settle for as Christians, we miss part of the good news. We think, oh, we have a church. We, we're almost 10 years old and we exist. That's good enough. Or, yeah, I'm saved. I get to go to heaven. That's it. That's good enough. We just want a status without the responsibility and the privilege that goes with it. We are saved to serve. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are called out of darkness into light so that we can live that light in the midst of the world and proclaim the excellencies who called us out of darkness into that light. We are here, not just for ourselves, we are here for the city to bless them, to proclaim his excellencies, to walk in good works, to love grace and do justice, and to pray for these cities. May God empower us, encourage us, give us wisdom to do so well together. Let me pray for us to that end. God, forgive us for the times when we just want the status and the title and don't want to do any work. Uh, forgive us for the, the fear that makes us worry about doing it wrongly or worry about what, what we might get into if we uh, engage. Um, give us confidence not in ourselves, but in you, Holy Spirit, in the fact that you, God, are at work and that you give your church a, a role in that work of advancing your kingdom. What a wonder that is. And so we pray that you would, as we live as the church, that you would add to our number those who are being saved. We pray that as we live as the church, that we would find favor with the people because they know that we're here for good. We pray that as we live as a church, we would love grace, we would do justice in these cities, and it would matter that we would push against the effects of the fall, uh, that we would move and work towards the flourishing of these cities, and that you would move us to pray. Make us a praying people, Lord, we pray. All these things in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening, and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.